0: ...your church up through grades five. Back in high school... rather in college, I knew a young man by the name of PD. I met PD while he was in high school. He was still a junior in our high school that Kate and I graduated from. Uh, And upon graduation, PD began helping our youth pastor plant a church in Mansfield, Texas. P.D. was one of those guys that you really hope for in a church, a guy who's willing to give his everything into all sorts of ministries. And P.D. knew the sort of work that needed to be done to plant a church. And so he was there. He was running all sorts of ministries, and he was leading all kinds of teams to help get this church off the ground. Well, after some time, P.D. started dating this young girl. And as Petey started to get into this relationship deeper and deeper, he began to distance himself more and more from the church he was helping to plant. We noticed that he wasn't returning phone calls. He wasn't showing up for his ministry responsibilities. Later on, we figured out that he dropped out of college, a college which he had a full ride to. We knew something was going on with Petey. So we were calling him. I can't count the number of people that reached out to him and gave him a text message or a phone call. I remember leaving him one voicemail and said, hey man, I just want you to get back to somebody. It doesn't need to be me. It can be anybody. Just get back to someone. Well, through the grapevine, we eventually learned that Petey had taken up smoking pot and had quit his job. He was probably sleeping with his girlfriend and he was convinced that he had a severe mental health disorder. Well some months continue to go by and about 6 months later PD gives our youth pastor Brian a phone call. And on the phone PD says, "Brian, I'm on the highest overpass in Dallas right now and I think I'm done. I think this is it, man." I presume he told he gave Brian a call because he wanted Brian to talk him out of jumping. And Brian, as any one of us would probably do in this instance of loving someone, he sped as fast as he could to meet PD while hanging on, hanging on to him on the phone. I'm coming, man. I'm going to be right there. Well, Brian got to PD, and praise God, PD did not jump that day. PD was an ordinary guy from a really ordinary family. But in the course of the years, his sin had led him to a place he never had expected in life, a place where he's on the highest overpass, ready to take his own life. And this is the way sin has an effect in us. It will take us to places we never thought we'd end up. But here's the wonderful, amazing good news of the book of Hosea in chapter 14. With God, there is great healing. With God, there is great restoration, even from the sin which has wrecked our lives. And so this morning, we will see this in the book of Hosea chapter 14, how God can rescue us when our sin has led us so far astray. Let us pray, and then we will open up the book of Hosea. Father, this morning we turn to you. As we've even sung, our eyes turn to you, and from you comes our healing. From you comes truth and life. And so this morning, as we open your word, would you guide us by your truth? Your word is truth. Might your spirit have his way in our hearts this morning, that our hearts and our minds may be greater conformed to the image of Jesus, that the one who does not have faith might come to faith this morning, and the one who has faith might be matured into the fullness of the image of Jesus Christ. Do this by the work of your word and your spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Hosea, chapter 14. It's the final chapter of the book of Hosea. We'll be finishing our series through this book. It's been a whirlwind, if I can say so. Chapter 14, verse 1. We'll start just there this morning. We read, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Hosea has repeatedly called the nation of Israel back to the Lord, back to the Lord. Israel, look at your sin. Look at what it's gotten you. Look at where it's leading you. And he calls them back repeatedly to the Lord not even with just his words, but with his very life. If you've been with us in this series from the very beginning, you remember in the first chapters of the book of Hosea, Hosea lives out his prophecy with his wife, Gomer, a wife who's unfaithful to him, and how his children are even named after the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel. His marriage is a picture of Israel and their God. Keep this in the back of your head while we read this verse again. This isn't the call to return of a high-handed, authoritarian-fisted, you need to come back to the Lord. No, it's a a broken-hearted parent saying, look at where you are. Come back. Think of Gomer's unfaithfulness to Hosea as we read the verse 1 again. Return, O Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your sin. God had not moved for the nation of Israel. He was right where he has always been, faithful to them. And yet they had run after so many other things. And so God, through the prophet Hosea, calls them back to repentance. He says, come back to me. Do you not see what your sin has done to you? You have stumbled in your iniquity. The sin which is supposed to bring joy and life and give us everything we want is the very thing which destroys our lives. We sing this song, in uh, All I Have is Christ. And in this song, there are these, in this verse, we read, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. The sin that had promised me the joys and the delights of life had actually been killing me this whole time. This is the word of the Lord to the people of Israel in Hosea's day. Return. You've stumbled. You've fallen in your sin, and your sin is wrecking you. It's ruining you. You know, my friend P.D. saw that good and well in his life. His sin had wrecked his life. And looking back, I know he would say, it is his own actions, his own sinful desires, which had led him to that point. And I wonder today if there's someone in here who can resonate with that. I wonder in here today if there's someone who can say, yes, I see how sin will wreck a life. I see how mine has wrecked my life. I wonder if that's your past. I wonder if that's your present. You know, there's good good news that the sin which plagues our life, it does not have to stay that way. But rather, there can be healing. We're going to find that in the book of Hosea. But before we can get there, God has a message for the people of Israel. Return to the Lord. You've stumbled, but come back to me. How are they going to come back? Well, the next two verses lay that out for us. Verses 2 and 3. How is Israel to return? Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us we will not ride on horses and we will say no more our god to the works of our hands in you the orphan finds mercy you see god through the prophet hosea is calling israel to back calling israel back to him in three specific ways he's saying repent and turn to me with a humble heart with promises or vows and with actions in keeping with repentance. It's right here in our passage in verse 2. Take with you words. Return to the Lord. Turn to him how? Humbly. Take away all iniquity. Acknowledge your sin before the Lord and say, Lord, I know the sin that I have. Come with a contrite heart. The Lord will not despise it, Israel. Understand the gravity and the weight of the sin which you have committed against the Lord your God. And admit all your iniquity before him. Take away all iniquity, except what is good. Come humbly before the Lord. Make commitments as you come. It says there, the vows of our lips. The last stanza there of verse two. The vows of our lips. Make promises to the Lord. Lord, I promise not to walk in that sin any longer. I commit to changing Now you and I know there's the sort of promises that are merely lip service. You've probably had people make you those kind of promises in life. They just say it, but couple a humble heart with promises for change and these promises can be promises of good faith. Make a good faith promise and then take action on that promise. Notice what it says right before. It says, we will pay with bulls, the vows of our lips. We will take action in keeping with our repentance. We will make the sacrifices that you, our God, have given to us to show that we're serious about this commitment to change. We are serious about our repentance. God says, come humbly to me, commit to change, and do the actions that keep with repentance. But God is very specific and has been very specific through the whole book of Hosea about Israel's sins. He said specifically to them, chapter after chapter after chapter, you have gone to other nations for your security, and you haven't come to me. You have trusted in your military might and not in the Lord your God. You have said to sticks and to gold, you are our God, give us oracles. And you see in this passage, Israel is called to repent for the specific sins of their nation. It says in verse 3, Assyria shall not save us. God calls them, turn away from those foreign alliances. Turn away from the thing that you thought was going to rescue. That's not me. Trust in the Lord your God. Say to God, I make a promise and I confess my sin of trusting in Assyria and trusting in Egypt. I will no longer do that. I will trust in you. It says, We will not ride on horses. Do not trust in your military. Might any longer, Israel. Repent from the sin of trusting in your military, but rather trust in the Lord to protect you. Say no more to the works of your hands. This is our God. You, I, I recall that picture of Dave with the stick in his hand. Give me the oracle. Give me prophecies. Tell me. Oh, stick what I am to do. Or you think of Israel worshiping the golden calf that they'd created. This is our God. Say no more to the sticks and the gold that they're your God, but worship the one true living God, your God. He calls them to specific repentance. And this is what God calls you and me to today. There is a place for, uh, for when we come to God and say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins, Plural. And in fact, if you haven't asked God to forgive you of your sins of your life, today can be the day that you see that. And I pray through this message you will see how that can be done through Jesus Christ. And yet, God calls us specifically to repent of the specific sins of our lives. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we come to the Lord, we come with our specific sin, just as Israel was called to come with their specific sins. What is the specific sin of your life this morning that you need to come to the Lord and repent of? Do you need to come and say, God, forgive me for lying at my work. Lord, forgive me for being harsh to my children. Lord, forgive me for coveting my friend's lifestyle. What are the sins which God is calling you to turn away from? Maybe it's an overt sin, lying at work or at school in your families. Maybe it's the overt sin of a sexual immorality within your marriage, within your dating relationship, in your own private life that no one sees. Or perhaps it's a more subtle sin. It's not a stiff-necked sin. You've been a Christian long enough that maybe you've seen a lot of those rooted out, but man, you've got crusty hearts around the edges, the sin of failing to see the wounds you inflict on other people and being cold to that, failing to mourn with those who mourn, or of being in a compromise with sin, you know, a little bit of worry. (sighs) I'm just a worrier. A little bit of anger, but it's better than maybe I used to be. I guess this is okay. A little bit of envy, a little bit of gluttony. You know, I've made my peace with that sin. Or perhaps, worst of all, maybe this morning you think about this and you think, what is the Lord calling me to specifically repent of? I don't know. I don't know what I would repent of. Certainly there's still sin that lingers within us. Should we not know what that is? To know how to turn from it. True repentance looks like humble hearts committing to change and taking action in accordance with that change. But God doesn't merely call the nation back to repentance. He has a promise for them. But here's the sad truth of the people of Israel during Hosea's time. They won't listen to him. After chapter 14 is over, the nation of Israel continues in their sin, and they are taken away in exile. The whirlwind of God's anger comes on the nation. And in spite of that, we get these astounding words from the prophet Hosea, verses four to seven, to a nation that has sown its own destruction, a people who have walked away from God and they will continue to walk away. They will ignore the messengers of God. God makes a promise to them. And it's an astounding promise in verses four to seven here. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. What? This is that tension we've been living in the whole way in the book of Hosea. God says, turn from your sin. You're evil, you're wicked, and you're running away from me. But I'm your daddy and I held you up and I taught you to walk. I'm your husband and I love you and I want you back with me. God says, in spite of your sin, O Israel, in spite of the fact that you're not going to turn to me, I'll heal you. I'm coming to heal your apostasy. I'm coming to love you freely. To a people steeped in sin, God will heal their apostasy. To a people abusing God's love, God will love them freely. To a people who have kindled the very wrath of God, God promises to turn away from his anger. How can this be? How can it be that this people would become a beautiful lily, as the passage says, when their sins have made them ugly weeds? How will they be rooted like a mighty tree of Lebanon when their affections for their God have been nothing but the shifting sand on the beach? How is this people going to become an abundantly fruitful nation when their hearts are as hard as the peaks of the Rocky Mountains It'll only come as God does the work. It is an impossible situation, but our God is the God of impossibilities. He can make the impossible possible. His wrath will turn to peace, his anger to love, and his judgment to a pardon, but he will have to do this in time. It will not come for this people, Israel, right then and there, for their sins will reap a whirlwind of God's wrath. But praise be that God does not leave sinners in their sin. He does not say, you get the just punishment of your sin. There's no shot out of this. No, when Jesus arrives on the scene, he is the one who can heal the apostasy. He's the one who causes God to be able to love freely. He's the one who can bring healing to the sinner. This is the substitution that Jesus brings. You know, we talk about this regularly. Jesus is our substitute. He takes our sin away. And I want to give you a picture of what this looks like this morning. We talk about it, that Jesus takes our place when he dies on the cross. But I want to show you what it looks like. So I've asked two people to come up here this morning. Can I get Rachel and Doug up here with me this morning? Rachel and Doug are going to help me demonstrate what this looks like, that Jesus takes away our sin. That it is Jesus who turns away the wrath of God and heals our apostasy. All right, so they're going to be our two characters this morning. I need you to put on your imagination hats. We're going to be back in junior church this morning. Put on your imagination hats. You ready? I'm going to want you to picture for a moment. We're going to start over here. I want you to picture for a moment. Rachel is a human, okay? I think we can manage that. All right, Doug here, I want you to imagine he's God. He'd be a little taller. (laughs) So imagine Doug is God. Now here's the problem between God and humanity is that we know every single human being has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so the just consequence for this sin against the king of the universe, God says is death. It's his wrath against sin. It's his wrath against our rebellion to him. You see, the king of the universe has certain laws in place, and when you break those laws, there are consequences. So this morning, I've got some consequences. I've got a water gun of God's wrath right here. Here you go. All right. Hold on. My, I like my Bible. I'm going to put my Bible over here. It's a lot of water. It's a lot of water. You see, the problem is that every single human has sinned against God, and the right and good thing for God to do in this instance is to unload his justice and his wrath against sinners. This is the right thing for him to do. So, we have to have justice. So, on the count of three, bring the justice. Three, two, one. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. hold on. That's not where the Bible ends that story, is it? The Bible doesn't end there. What bad news would that be if that was the end of the story? We would be hopelessly lost in our sin, but God does not say that even in the book of Hosea. He says, I will heal your apostasy, but how? There needs to be a third character. Can I get Nate up here? There needs to be a third character in the story. Nate, this morning, is going to represent for us Jesus, all right? Jesus, you're over here with God, your Father, all right? Jesus has been with his Father for all of eternity in perfect loving fellowship and relationship with his Father, God, himself being God with no sin, no imperfections. What happens when Jesus steps down onto this earth and he steps onto that cross of his own free will, he chose it, is that Jesus becomes a substitute for anyone who has faith in him. Anyone who will believe in his name, Jesus takes their place. It is a substitutionary atonement that Jesus does. And so Jesus literally comes into the place of the sinner and the sinner takes the place of Jesus so that all that was Jesus's, all the fellowship with God, all the love from the Father, all the joy with God is theirs. And all that was the sinner's is now Jesus's. And so he has to take the wrath. He has to take the punishment because there still needs to be justice Healing will come for the sinner, but someone's got to pay the bill. Three, two, one. (laughs) That's a lot of water. (laughs) Now hang with me for just a minute here. I want you to get this in your mind. I want you to see this picture. Nate, turn to them here. Look at this. It's a funny picture. We had a water gun on stage this morning. This is Jesus on the cross for your sins. He could have stayed over there. Nothing obligated him, aside from his own promises, to make this exchange. But he did it. He did it that you might be healed of your apostasy, that God might love you freely so that you can be forgiven of your sin. And this is what it cost. It costs God's own wrath against his very son. Now, praise God, next week he doesn't stay dead, does he? Doesn't stay dead. All right, thank you all. Go get cleaned up now. <laughs> Thanks. God says he'll heal their apostasy, love them freely, and turn away from his anger. This is how it happens. But perhaps some of you, you've been a Christian long enough, you hear, God loves me, and you're like, yes. God heals my, he loves me freely. He turns away from his anger toward me. Yes, I see that. I know it. I believe it. But you know, that heal the apostasy thing, I still feel like God hasn't yet done some of that in my life. I still feel like there's sin that remains on me that God has yet to bring healing to. You're waiting for that. Has God's promise to you failed? No. By no means has God's promise to you failed. God is at work healing you even right now. Let me ask you, do you have the desire to be healed? Do you have the desire for holiness? When you sin, are you convicted of your sin and you desire to be made new out of that sin? This is the very work of God within you, for it is God who wills within you and works for his good pleasure. Even the desire to be made holy is a work of God. C.S. Lewis has penned it this way. You must ask for God's help. Even when you have done so, it may seem for you a long time that no help or less help than you need is being given. Never mind. After each failure, ask forgiveness. Pick yourself up and try again. For often, what God first helps us toward is not the virtue itself, but just the power of, of always trying again. The desire to be changed, to be transformed. The work of God in our lives is not measured in minutes, but in months. The work of God in our lives is not in moments of failure, but in years of growth. Let me ask you do you expect one morning that the worrier will wake up never to worry again? Would you expect the adulterer to wake up and never lust again? Certainly God could bring that kind of healing, but the sort of healing that God most often brings in the lives of his followers is the progressive sanctification of always trying again. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. I confess my sin and I will try again by your might, by your power and the spirit that is within me. You know, my friend P.D. He saw a lot of healing in his life it took a lot of time and a lot of help he didn't wake up one morning feeling tremendously different from the day before often most mornings he woke up feeling much the same but through the steady and sometimes inconsistent pursuit of god Pete saw his life changed it didn't take a week not in a month but over the years, PD became the man, became a different man than he was on that bridge. And I'm thankful today, he's a man who loves the Lord. He's a faithful man. And it was done by God's work through the spits and the sputters of his own progressive sanctification. Can anyone identify with that? God has called us to repentance. He calls the nation of Israel to repentance. He says, turn from your sin. Commit to change. Do actions in keeping with repentance. And I will heal you. I'm bringing healing. And he does on the cross bring healing where God will come and heal a people who cannot heal themselves. And the final message of the book of Hosea In verses 8 and 9, Hosea, so to speak, sharpens his pencil and gets ready to put a fine tip on the message of his book. Let's look there at the last two verses of this book. Verse 8, O Ephraim, that's another word for the nation of Israel, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things; whoever is discerning, let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. God has been very clear in the book of Hosea. Israel has a choice. It says it here, "O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols?" Israel had a choice. Do they want their stick and their golden calf or do they want the living Lord, their God? There is not a middle compromising position. God has made it clear. It is not the stick and the gold and the nations and the military which have brought them fruit, which have provided for them all these years. He says, I am in evergreen cypress for you. Your fruit comes from me, the Lord. There is no middle ground for the nation of Israel. And then he calls Israel to consider the message of the book of Hosea. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Understand the book as a whole, a call to repentance, to say the Lord is right and I must change. Not, I'm right, and the Lord must change. This takes us straight to Proverbs 9, 10, where we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, at the very least, fear of the Lord means acknowledging that He is right, and I must conform to Him. And so the people of Israel, in the final verse of Hosea, are called to be wise. Let the one who is wise hear the message and turn from their sin. Turn to the living God who can heal, who can love freely. Will the hearers of Hosea turn and be wise? Or will they, like the final verse, be the transgressor that stumbles in the way? Tragically, Israel, we know the end of that story. They do not heed that call. They reject Hosea as a false prophet, and they reject his ministry, and the consequences for them are dire. Their nation exiled, so many in their country killed by the sword. But the theme of Hosea is that sin has consequences. What you sow, you will reap. Israel sowed the wind, and they reaped the whirlwind. Sinners sow sin, and we reap death. But Jesus sows righteousness and reaps everlasting life. And by faith in him, the sinner can reap what Jesus sows, and Jesus will reap what the sinner sows. And so which will you be this morning? Will you be the wise man who turns away again and again from your sin to say the Lord is right and receive healing. Or, like the transgressor who stumbles in their sin. I pray, I pray the Lord opens your eyes. You see the glory of what has happened with Jesus Christ and you say, God is right and I will submit to all his ways. Let us pray. Our Father, you are the one who has looked after us. We confess that from you alone comes the very good gift, every very good gift. All that is lovely, pleasant, and beautiful in our lives is from you. We confess that we easily forget you, we forget your providence, your healing, and your compassion. Make us not like the transgressors who stumble. We don't want to fall in the darkness of our own sins. Shine the light of Christ upon us. Turn our hearts toward you. Make us wise and put within us the fear of your holy name. Cause us to declare with the righteous saints of old that your ways are right and your word is life. When your children sin, turn your anger against Christ on the cross and pardon us. Heal us of our apostasy. Form within us a heart that grows ever more tender to your commands. Shape us. Shape within us our hearts so that we might turn from our particular sins. Fix our eyes upon Jesus our blessed Savior, and the fulfillment of all your promises. In his name we pray. Amen.